Hey, and welcome to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast, moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website, drcandicenicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today, the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Matthew to the space. So sit back and join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, everyone. Welcome to How to Love a Human. Today, I'm here with Matthew. And I got to ask you my non-researchy question to start off. So are you feeling human or human as fuck? Human AF. This feels like the easiest question you're probably going to ask me today because mm-hmm. I'm always feeling human as fuck. Like, how can you not? <laughs> like, <laughs> Tell me what it t- means for you. Uh, shit. All of the damn things. Like, I'm a parent. Well, I will say this. One, one way I, I introduce myself, I, I, I got this collection of words, right? So say Matthew, I'm a lover, thinker, husband, father, connector. Builder and I aspire to be a bridge. Um, I feel like that kind of sums up the essence of who I am right now and who I want to be going forward. Um, but one of those I think that's coming up for me first is like father. Um, I, I talk a lot about emotional regulation yeah. to my kids, right? How and do you, uh, how do you show them that because at different ages it looks different, and you're talking about multiple kids. <laughs> Yeah, yep. I got four that uh, they they ra- they range in age from twelve. I got a twelve, eleven, nine, and two. Um, oh. And how do I show them that? Terribly. Oh, yeah, teach them or show them because you said you talk about it with them. So I was wondering at each developmental level, like what does the conversation look like or the modeling, like you said. Yeah. So yeah, the mop. That's the that's what brings me back to being human as fuck <laughs> because like I like the modeling for. The nice way we say it in our fields is like, there's a lot of room for growth. <laughs> How I model my own <laughs> emotional regulation, but I'm terrible at it because it was not, it was not a part of. Uh, I don't think it was. It just wasn't. It wasn't embedded, yeah. and, and as easily accessible um, during my my youth development. Um, so yeah, that's part of what makes me feel human as fuck is like these this gamut of feelings of and emotions that we have, and and just like. Just the energy that, that that comes with just that little piece of what it means to be human, you know, yeah. around the feelings and emotions. But it's so it's so much more big and complex. But just around feelings and emotions, it fucks me up because I'm always like human is feeling human as fuck because my shit shift quick. Oh, you know? but the thing is, and this is let me ask you how you feel about this. So there is regulation and then there's emotional awareness. And you seem to have the awareness. You're saying that you notice the shifts because some people are shifting mm. all the time and not even able to acknowledge or notice them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that takes you back to development, right? Like it, I didn't always have that piece either, mm. especially at like, I mean, I identify as a black male, you know what I'm saying? Like growing up as a young black man, you know, we was just talking about like, we both just turned 40. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like emotional awareness, like we was, you allowed to be angry, but shit, not even you can't even be angry as a black man. Right. You can feel angry, but you're not expressing it like, oh, loud. 
I don't think all we like all I can touch right now is like we was allowed to be funny. Mm. <laughs> funny. Um, you can't be sad. That's weak. You can't be uh, uh, vulnerable. That's weak. You, you can't. You if you're too angry, that that risk your life. Um, mm -hmm. You you can't be you can't be too happy because that can risk your life. Um, what is it about people not appreciating black men's joy and happiness? Because this is a conversation me and Ramon have all the time, where it's like. He's like, when I'm happy and just in the world chopping it up, like people are disgusted by that. He was like, I get so much mm. negativity back. And do you experience that as well? Hell yeah. I just don't give a fuck no more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't care no more because I think, you know, clearly part of it is like our historical context, right? And in, in, uh, the domin our dominating ideologies, our dominating the, the, the things that govern us, our dominated so societal norms. Um, all centered around these ideas of power and dominance that have turned into things like white body supremacy, racial capitalism, anti-blackness, heteropatriarchy. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's been embedded into everything we do. It's literally in the air we breathe. It's literally in our blood. Um, <laughs> blood and blood, that was a funny little thing, yeah. Um, but yet, I think that's part of it because everybody's embodied that. Everybody's been socialized under that. So when we talk about anti-blackness and white body supremacy, we know that that's race is one, a social contract, some shit has been made up. Yeah. Two, uh, it's it's like it's everybody's got it. So it's just like it's always been a it's always been a species question, right? Mm. Shout out to shout out to my teacher and homie Resma Menica, man. Like it's always been a, a question about species. Like if you are the the further you are away from whiteness, the less human you are. The closest you are, the closer you are to the blackness, the less human you are. You're not. So that's what that's what I believe is coming up for people when you know they find some their body somewhere in their body, they're feeling disgusted at my black joy. Yeah. It's like you ain't supposed to have that. That's only for us. Right. Just you don't get to have it. You're not worthy of that joy. And you mm -hmm. talked about like that that human hierarchy and feeling human as fuck is almost like a reclamation of like a recognition of regardless of how I'm socially constructed, I am human and mm. absolutely human. I love that. I love that you brought reclamation in because yeah, that's what it feels like for me now. Among all of the other things, like that's why it's a crazy ass question. I mean, in the best way, because uh, yeah. it, it can be so so many of those things. But yeah, that's what it feels like for me. I, reclamation. I, I wholeheartedly receive that because it's like I'm not, despite the systems that govern us, I'm not going to let you. Now that I have access to love of self, yeah. <laughs> which is a whole other shit. Right? We're gonna get into that. We're gonna right get enough. into it because okay, yeah. so you broke down the salient identities you talked about being a lover, being a husband, a father, um, a thinker, a builder. Are there other aspects of your identities that feel salient to you right now that you didn't have a chance to name? Oh, you talked about turning 40. So age, yeah. being a black man. And so gender and race and that intersection. What else? What aspects of you feel like present with you? Man, it depends where you where you want to go. Like the first thing Wherever that's coming you up. Wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. <laughs> the first thing that's coming up for me and where I'm at in this journey now is like, it, it's, it's bringing me to my spiritual journey. And, mm. and, What's the journey and the, then? And the, say what? What's the journey then? 
Shit, it's been a, it's been a journey uh, seeking truth and seeking love. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I would that's what I would point to as far as like a spiritual journey. Um, it's also been uh, I mean highly traumatic, of course. <laughs> like when we think about again systems that are that have been in place. Uh, you know, I, I my mother, I watched her go through her spiritual like trying to find seek her own truth and kind of got drugged through that as a kid. And my mother's white, mm-hmm. so a lot of complexities in there um and, and a lot of places where I, I i didn't necessarily like jug with or vibe with the spaces she was taking me to a lot of them being christian a lot of them being other things yeah. um for me though the place i've come to in my spiritual journey like she also gave me this great gift where she's she's like into genealogy and mm-hmm. she gave me access back to like this ancestral knowledge um wow. that i did not have at all growing up uh being separated from my father, my father being separated from his own family. He was, mm. a, he's a Jamaican immigrant um, that ran away from home when he was 13 years old and snuck onto a cruise ship. You know what I'm saying? But he what? was, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, man. It's, uh, you need a book, bro. Right. <laughs> it's a trip. She actually made me a book, too. My mama made me a book, y'all. My mama made me a book. Wow. About the ancestry, but getting that, that reconnection with, with my ancestry and then also starting to connect all the dots in my lived experience. I had my father for a little bit in my life um, before he passed when I was 15 years old at the young age of 53. But um, is young. I remember his, his altar, he had an altar in his closet and it was it was a, all kind of shit. Like it was, mm. he had a power of Proverbs book in there. He had some incense and shit he was burning. He had some pictures of ancestors in there. Like, so I, he had like this hodgepodge of shit going on and like, the more that I've been able to reconnect with my own ancestry and kind of trace back, you know, our, our lineages, the more it's, it's taken me to this different kind of spiritual journey mm-hmm. um, of really being, really just being like grounded and like in tune with nature, the honoring of my ancestors, the honoring of uh, I, my high, highest power for me is love. Yeah. So that's what I pray to for and with. Yeah. Our love energies of my ancestors, my relatives, and then recently added my descendants. So I'm so I'm yes. futurizing. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's the spiritual journey's been interesting. And that would I think would be something that's salient for me because as I study it more and step into it and listen to my body more and let like my ancestors talk through it, um, the more it just shakes all those other ones away. Yeah. I'm a like I'm I'm a spirit, just a vessel, you know what I'm saying? Like in and I got, you know, it, it trips me out because spirituality and science, they walk these like parallel kind of avenues, right? So like, it trips me out to be alive in a time where we know we have the scientific technology to tell us that like all our ancestors literally live inside of our body mm-hmm. and our genetic material. We also have the, the science and knowledge to tell us that we all came from a black woman, which is <laughs> just like, mm. it's a trip to think about like, that's where we started as humans and look at where we at now. That always shoots me forward to uh, Malcolm X and him saying, you know, who's the most disrespected, denigrated person <laughs> in our world is the is the black woman. And I would add to that black gender expansive folks. Right. So spirituality is a sal- like being spiritual is a salient identity for me. And I know that's going to carry me forward because it yeah. shakes all. It's something that lives outside of all of these fucked up ass constructs. It what hit me when you said that and when you described your journey, like establishing or reestablishing relationships with your ancestors, um, 
seeing into the future and establishing relationships with your kin, like your, you know, your progeny, it's also like you start to exist or see yourself as existing outside of time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like in constant community with the past and the present and the now through that spiritual. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. And I, and like, that's, you know, that's something our, I believe our ancestors, and when I say our ancestors, I'm talking about all of our ancestors. Yeah. Again, we all came from a, <laughs> the same place, but hell yeah, they mm -hmm. they were able to do that. This is this is how we time travel, you know. Certain 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 of our peoples knew this, you know. what I'm saying like a the name that's popping into my head right now is Octavia E. Butler, man, because one of my yeah. one of my uh, new kin kindreds, man, they point me in the direction of Octavia E. Butler, like she was able to fucking time travel. You know what I'm saying? Like, and she and she lets us do it. Have you watched the show? The re like the remake of the book into a show. What's your thought? I did. I did. <laughs> so I started the book. It it was fucked up. I started the book and I like I got it on the library app because my best way to to take in books now is audio book. And I started it, but then it was like as soon as the the show was coming soon, like there was like 15 people waiting for it. So I didn't. I only got like three or four chapters into the book. And then the show came out and I was like, shit, binge the hell out the show and I'm not going to do any reviews. Right. We're not, we're not going to do spoilers, but we were in it like, what? And then what? And I had read the book, so I knew kind of what to expect. But I'm curious to see if they're going to extend the season. So we'll keep we'll put a capstone on that. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but what do you think that? OK, so with those identities. What about some of the other identities you didn't mention? So some of the things that people sometimes mention are ethnicity or um, body size or ability status, things that don't come to their mind at first, but that still make up a part of who they are, kind of like intersect with who they are. So social class status, these are things that other people have mentioned. So I'm wondering about those identities as well. Yeah, I think it's important for us to know where we stand um uh, so the first thing that's kind of coming up for me again as you say that is uh think about w.e.b du bois and the idea of double consciousness like the fact that us as black folks had to figure out how to exist in a space to not only be ourselves be conscious of who we are but be conscious of how we exist in this dangerous dangerous ass world for us mm -hmm. um so i take that um and it takes me to a place where i also need to be conscious of not only my identities that that might fall under the oppressed you know category but also my identities that fall under what some would deem privileged or advantaged right so i think that's that's important um but then it also just connects me right back to the spirituality so i need to be conscious of these oppressions and 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 these advantages because i want to ultimately i want to spread love and it brings back to that spirituality of like i'm going to be centered in love so who, no matter who's in front of me how can i how can I practice, you know, how can I extend this praxis, you know, mm -hmm. uh, theory, mm -hmm. theory plus practice um, of love, um, no matter who what you are. What does love so. mean to you? Man, this is hard. This is a, this is a difficult one because it's, I, I think it's an unboxable energy. Mm. I think love, I think love is something that's in abundance uh, all around us, but we've been socialized in a way to not be aware of it yeah. and to 
How did and to we not extend it to ourselves? How did we get ignorant of it or blind to it? What what was the I mean, we talked about these systems, but like, what's the process of that? Because I think that's an important point that it's all around us, always existed, not going to stop existing, but we can't see it or can't enact it. Yeah. Some people. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, I mean, that's where, that's the thinker part. Like, I always like try to figure out throughout my life, like where, one, like, how did I get so fucked up? (laughs) Like, what's going on with me? And is it me or is it everybody else? Like, how did we get here? And, you know, all this education, um, shout out to education being elevation. And always like I try to trace it back to, to the beginning. And I was actually having this conversation with my 11 year old this morning. Of like, you know, how did we get here? Like, how do we lose this access to love? How do we end up with these systems uh, steeped in power and dominance that seek to uh, divide and destroy us from the inside mm-hmm. out? Um, and it takes me back to the beginning of like human existence. I mean, at some point we we learned and we know that when we think about basic needs, our number one basic need is safety, right? It's shelter. And in order for humans to evolve, uh, we had to collaborate and work together to keep keep ourselves and our babies safe, right? And once humans got to this point where they were able to sleep <laughs> safely, then the brains were able to evolve, mm. right? We know this through science, right? So I think it's when we go all the way back and I was telling my son, I'm like, yo, there's, you know, these humans had to figure out like they weren't the apex predators. So they had to figure out like how to be safe, dog. Like, you know what I'm saying? And once they did, this is how they can evolve. But I think that connection to fear and safety at, at some point, once we figured out collaboration, at some point that those those concepts collided and started to grow cancerous mm. into these things that we call the enchantment of power, greed and dominance, um, like is really just extended from this idea of love, of wanting to keep our loved ones safe. It's like, I want my loved ones more safe than your loved ones. Yeah, well, and Mm -hmm. I I think- We got like that greed into it. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. and then then when you, I mean, as more humans started to be in one space and you have to be a relationship with each other, like there has to be some semblance, that's the other word I'm missing is that uh, control. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be some semblance of control of the environment in order for us to like, curry this fear and keep ourselves safe. And I think that sense of control, that's the piece that that became cancerous and turned into enchantment of power, uh, dominance and greed. Um, And control, dominance and greed turned into colonization and imperialism and things like that. It's like, I want to control all this. Yeah. This this little window. (laughs) Yeah. And that's and shout out to, to black feminisms, because this is the shit that brought me to the understandings mm-hmm. of these kind of ideologies. You what know? brought you to black feminisms? The truth. Love. I mean, I was seeking the truth in love, you know, so that's what I that's what that's where I came. You know, it's like that. And I'm still and I'm still learning so much like that's that's what but that's what brought me there. Walk me through um, what your first text was. We were like, this it right here. You know how you get that one and it opens the gateway and then you're deep in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even know if it's like, I don't know if I could point to a text. Mm-hmm. It's something deeper than that. Like back again to where we started, like we know like human beings are all evolved from like a, a couple, maybe like a couple, a handful of black women from, from, from the mother continent. Right. So I think it's just deeper than a text, man. It's it's a it's 
it's something that's permeated throughout our history. It's a vibe, dog. It's a it's a it's an energy. You know what I'm saying? Like it's something that shit. When I think back, like when I'm reflecting right now, and I think about the people that kept me alive, like I've called them my keepers before, right? Because I've been I've been up against all kind of shit that could have got me killed. You know what I'm saying? Along the way that led me to 40. You know, because we ain't supposed to live this long statistically. You know, in this country. But I, I can I can point to a, the sprinkling of black women that <laughs> didn't even know me. There was a time there was a time, Dr. Candace, where I was I was so fucking lost, um, uh, met it like uh, masking my pain with substances and shit like that. I was walking and walking and walking, trying to find something. I walk, I kept walking so much that I, I fell asleep walking and I passed out on the street. Wow. It was a black woman that woke me up mm-hmm. and said, well, how can I help you, baby? I was in I was in high school. I was in high school and, and, and I've always, you know, been been blessed with some intellect. Shit came easy to me. Right. Um, was in all them gifted, all that bullshit, you know. Um, but when it came to my senior year of high school, my white lady guidance counselor was like, oh, you you got your things filled out. You you can just take it easy this year. And it was something that told me I, I went and shared that with the assistant principal, who's a black woman. And she was like, Mm-mm, baby, go see uh, Miss uh, Miss what's her name? The other black woman guidance counselor. She's like, Mm-mm, no, go go talk to her. Um, and when I talked to her, she was like, what the <laughs> like, what the hell? No. If you want to succeed in college, you're going to need to challenge yourself, young man. Like and then. Put me up for AP class. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this idea, like this idea for me, it's been it's been more this energy and this vibe of like, I'm going to love you no matter what, mm. baby. I don't know. Like, you know, like I got that. I always got that from black feminism, mm-hmm. the, what I understand to be black feminine energy. Um, so that's what I, I think just and then as I d- like dive into it and trying to understand my life and practice like my own beliefs and core values started to rise to the top and they started aligning with the energy yeah. of black queer feminist theory or black feminisms as a whole. Like everything was aligned. And I was like, oh, oh, this is the way I've yeah. been known. So it's not just one text. It's like all of these, it's like, it's so much more. It was the lived experience of being with black women who could see you even if they didn't know you or could yeah. care for you. Yeah. Yeah. So like lived experience of like being touched by that, but also shit on the on the screen. Like I was, you know, we we 80s babies, like I I had a key to to like get back into my house in in Chicago when I was like five, six. Yeah. My mom was at work. So I was just telling somebody that the other day I was like, I was definitely like just walking to school by myself or with my sister and walking back and letting ourselves in and cooking our own food. And we was just living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then my, so the only person I had with me at the time, cause I was the oldest of two from my mama, youngest of seven from my uh, Papa was a Rolling Stone ass daddy. Uh, it's like, was the TV man. Like, so like, shit, I was just thinking about like uh, the other day, like they just did a night court reboot. Right. And I was thinking about like, Shit, I used to watch Night Court when I was little and I was looking at the uh looking at the damn uh preview or whatever. I was like, where the fuck Marshall Warfield at? Uh where where's Roz? You know, but I say all that to say, like, yeah, it was like it was in media, it was like black 
that that black feminine energy was like everywhere. It permeate, it permeated. So like I saw it in media, I saw it in, in didn't necessarily see it in all the books I read till I got older because those we know what happened, like those voices were pushed mm -hmm. down. Yep. Um, yeah. That's mm -hmm. what I was wondering because I know that you probably didn't get it in high school. So I was like, okay, at what point? Mm -hmm. Because do you think, and you tell me this, if it's the case for your, your networks, do you think that it's rare for a person who identifies as a black man to see black feminism as the way? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I was wondering what invited you, because I think most people could point to those experiences with black women. Most people could point to a black woman who kept them or cared for them and mm -hmm. still choose misogynoir or still yeah. choose neglect or, you know, patriarchy or whatever. So it's really a conscious decision to choose black feminism, the praxis of it. Mm hmm. You know what? So as you say that too, like the first name that comes up for me is another black man that was a mentor and keeper for me. His name's Kiese Layman. Um, he he was he came to be an associate professor at uh, Vassar College when I first went to Vassar College from Florida. I was born in Chicago, grew up in Florida, and I went there. And um, he came to Vassar at the same time I did. Mm -hmm. And he was also assistant basketball coach where I played for the for that basketball team for the first three years of my undergrad. And he. A big part of it was him, fam, like I, now that I look look back on it because he was he was living that praxis, too. Ah, OK, but he was also like growing in it, mm -hmm. you know, um, he was one of the first people that ever snatched me up by like. It felt like he snatched me by my ear, but intellectually, you know what I'm saying? To be like, yo, you need to honor your ancestors with this opportunity you got in front mm -hmm. of you. Like, mm -hmm. People have literally died um, so you could have this opportunity where you at. And I'm just there as like some hurt young black man, you know, trying to figure shit out. And, and it like it resonated, like it cut through everything that I had been through. I had been going through all these traumas and shit and it cut through and it, it, it etched into my soul when he said that. Um, and then I have the honor of watching him. Like I have the honor of being in the space and like and growing with him, mm, and him being mm -hmm. him being close to me. So watching him grow, I think he was like twenty seven when he got there, and I'm eighteen. You know what I'm saying? So like, or not even like he might have been. I think we're a little closer in age, but um, yeah. And I still I stay connected to him now, and I watch his journey now as he's become like this kind of bigger and more famous writer. And he was doing that. He was practicing the practice because he, his mother, you know, for people that ain't out there that haven't read heavy, you know, read Kiese Lehman's heavy. So you can see the complex relationship he had with his mom, who was this black intellectual. Um, yeah, man. So uh, the modeling of another black man doing mm. it is probably, probably a big part of me going in that direction. It showed um, you it was a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I ain't even pieced that together till right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would the world be like if it loved humans like you? If it loved black men and fathers and thinkers and all of these intersections of who you are? Shit. Love you, old buddy. That long shit. <laughs> Yo, I just asked this question because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm currently a graduate research assistant 
with this uh, the Center for Social Justice Youth Development Research, and we're doing this social justice youth development certification program for youth serving organizations and youth de youth development workers. And we were just uh, coming out of a, a session today, and one of the questions I asked to the facilitators in our debrief was like, you know, what if what if love was our most coveted currency? Mm -hmm. um, like what what if what if we existed in a world like that and and the 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 person that was leading the facilitation today the doctor you know what I'm saying has been doing all of this stuff for a long time black woman was just like but I just did when you asked the question she was like shit she was like you talking about she's like you're talking about a utopia and she was like not that not just that you're talking about a black utopia which mm. I thought is interesting and then the next thing she said uh, shout out to Dr. Outley. Um, at University of Clemson for this. But the next thing she said was the closest we've ever been to that throughout the history of humanity has been around black and brown indigenous cultures, getting mm -hmm. getting to that space where, you know, everybody was loved in some mm -hmm. kind of way. Mm -hmm. You know, the closest we might have been. So man, what does that world look like? I, it looks functional. Mm -hmm. It looks uh, and what to me, is it functioning? It's functioning because I, the, the first thing that's coming up for me is that love is accountability. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when I feel when I feel some of the times when I feel most loved is where I can be held accountable and I'm not like I, I want to fight against it, but I'm not going to fight against it because like, shit, you're right. And I know you love me. Yeah. Um, so I think about conflict resolution, like we got things like restorative justice, all this shit now. But I think about conflict resolution in a world where everybody has access to love, mm. love of self and love of each other. Um, the next thing I think about a world that's that's just flipping our dominant, that's flipping these dominant and harmful ideologies of, of ownership, like mm. and going back to something called stewardship. Yes. Uh, like that world would be a world where every human being that exists in that world would be a steward, a loving steward of themselves, mm -hmm. each other, the next generation and hands that we live on. Like we would be stewards. We wouldn't be seeking to own anything. We would just be seeking to help this interconnectedness of everything that we are, all the energies of love. I share whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we steward that. Yeah, so that's what the, that world. You've got the loving stewardship of the land of the people. You've got accountability when, for whatever reason, a person might stray from that process and that practice of stewardship. What would the accountability look like? You said there were times when, you know, people called you back to yourself, like, "Hey," and you felt like. A little defensive, but you knew it was because they loved you. What what does that process look like of accountability through that loving lens? Well, let me first say, let's not forget the part about being a loving steward of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because shout out to RuPaul, like if we don't love ourselves, how in the world we gonna love anybody else? Yeah. Um, I think what that looks like, it looks like practice. Mm -hmm. um, it looks like us literally having to practice what love and accountability can be um, mm -hmm. on the on the on the giving end and on the receiving end. Um, something I've noticed throughout my growth um, into the person I am that today 
even even as recent as within the past two years is like you know we got these uh this concept of perfection that's so heavily steeped into white body supremacist racial capitalistic culture right where you have to have this perfect productivity perfect performance and i think about being like you know quote unquote one of a, a smarter you for whatever it was and you get like this affirmation and this yeah. this feeling of like i got a hundred but like that 97 <laughs> used to feel like somebody hit me in my stomach yeah. literally. Mm -hmm. like it would literally be like oh, oh. physical and pain yeah literally like and so i think we got to work with our bodies you know because of the, a lot of these a lot of these things that we need to unlearn has been embodied for generations and generations. So it lives inside of us. Yeah. So when I think, so that's what brings me back to practice. We'll have to practice that. Like we'll have to practice that love and accountability. So what I've noticed now, like it's just happened to me in my, in my job, like in my current internship, like I got called out on some shit the other day or called in as we nicely say today or whatever. <laughs> and I noticed that it was like, I'm looking at two people that I love that have given me this, this whole new world of, of learning how to love myself by telling me I had to do it through the policy of our workspace. I'm looking back at them and as they call, as they're calling me in, that gulp wasn't there. That gut punch mm. wasn't there. It was a little bit, mm -hmm. but it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as forceful as it felt when I was a, a kid or even when I was 38 years old and somebody told me like, uh, you ain't do that right. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So, the practice of that over these past two years for me and then all the lived experience I've had has gotten me to a place where my body has been conditioned in a way to receive that kind of love. So it's, I think we get there by practicing. That, that really hit home for me when you talked about that gut punch and like being wrong and the, the defense that comes up when you're held accountable or when you get feedback sounds like it's around protecting yourself from feeling that pain it's like a physical pain but also like an ego pain mm -hmm. and people go to great lengths to present present as if they never feel it and also to present prevent themselves from having to feel it even if they need the correction or need the feedback yeah it must be incredibly painful that people go to such great lengths how do we have yeah. compassion for that level of pain? Like where you feel a word results in a physical decomposition. Yeah. And that's a, uh, yeah. A couple of things come up for me. Like, how do we, how do we, how do we know a semblance of what love is if we don't experience pain or we don't experience mm -hmm. loss or we, or we don't experience joy. The other thing that's coming up for me too is back to to one of my mentors and teachers, man, Resma Menicum. He talks about the difference between dirty pain and clean pain. Mm -hmm. And I know I know you're familiar. So it's just like, you know, for the people listening, man, you know, dirty pain being that pain that we push down, that we don't want to confront, that we don't want to deal with, we try to hide, which is what I used to tell my kids when they was growing up was, was like, look, you got to learn and practice how to express your your feelings and stuff yeah. <laughs> with words or in some other kind of way. Um, because if you push it down and hold it inside, it's going to turn into poison. It's going to poison your choices. Mm -hmm. Right. So that to me is that dirty pain, but this clean pain is this, this opportunity for, for, for growth and change and, and metamorphosis. Um, when you confront it, you know, you, you're confronting your pain head on 
and you're you're taking that energy and you're and you're finding a way to hold it. And let let me not get to let me not get this part twisted. Not hold it by yourself in the individualistic yeah. matter. <laughs> this this world has trained us to be so in damn individualistic. This is not something we can do healthily by ourselves. This is the importance of community and collective, because when the pain becomes overwhelming, a loving community, a loving village, a loving collective is going to create the space mm. to hold that pain and help mm. you work through it. You know what I'm saying? Work through it directly. That's what that's what the clean pain can can afford us like a, a metamorphosis, man, into something more beautiful. Yeah. Um, if that and makes sense. It does make sense because I think about pain is one indicator and then discomfort is another thing. And when I'm <laughs> thinking about growth, exercise, shit, I don't be wanting to do, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that I yeah. need to do that is healthy for me, it's still uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable, yeah. but it's, you know, it can also feel painful if I appraise it as pain is pain, or I can appraise mm. it as growth promoting discomfort. And it sounds yeah. like you started to make the shift in the way you think about the feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. another thing that's coming up, as you said, I'm hearing this reggae song, it's got this line in it. I think it's a dance hall song, but regular dance hall. Um, it's got this line in it where it says, join forces with pain and kill fear. Mm. And I'm not here for like the violence and shit, but <laughs> we're talking about the context of this. I'm here for that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just a, yeah, I think it's just a way to, that we can practice and condition our bodies, um, especially when we do it with each other. Because shit, when you talk about the discomfort of like working out or having to do these things, like I used to always avoid that shit. And I was like, ended up being like this collegiate athlete, but I didn't want to do that shit. But what got me doing it was this, you know, this this idea of the, you know, common goal for one team. Like when I, mm -hmm. and pure accountability. So when I see my brothers on my team that I love, like doing the shit, like I'm like, oh, I got to do it now too. Yeah. And it makes it, it makes it more chewable. It makes it more digestible. It's like, oh, we're doing it You don't want to leave them out there doing it by themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's like this collective, it's like this energy container, right? Like when we're Did in it. Did it ever transform into a pleasurable experience. Like I know some people say they get like a dopamine rush at a certain point after they exercise. i never got that. I get really? like satisfaction with saying, yay, I did it, but I never get like runner's high or anything like that. I ran track and all it never came to me. It was just like, this is uncomfortable, yeah. but I'm grateful that I committed to myself in this way. Did you ever get the, like the dopamine rush of like, we, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, I think maybe they would have came more like, I, it takes me back to like in-game, in-game mm -hmm. stuff. Like, so you, you do all this practice and, and, and working out outside of the game and in-game when, when the shit just flowing right and everything's moving together. I was a basketball player. So like everything's flowing together. It just feels like, oh, God, damn, it feels heavenly. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> it just feels heavenly. Like everything's flowing together and then that ball goes through the hoop. Whatever part you had and it's like, okay, all this shit paid off. I'm getting it right now. I'm getting a tingle uh, just thinking okay. back. Like, so that to me was like, it's like the, the pushing, the pushing through the adversity, and then and then doing it together, um, is what brought me the dopamine hit yeah. more so than me ever doing anything by myself. Again, to the collective, man, like mm -hmm. that's where I got that. It's like, oh, we shit, we did this together, and I was a, I was one part of this. I was one part of that, you know. Yeah. So it's like the pushing through 
pain and holding each other accountable to discomfort as a collective is like the model for wellness. Yeah, I think that I think it's and I don't I, I always try to pause myself on the, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I would say a, a because yeah, it's not sure. yeah. Yeah, it's never going to be yeah. So it's definitely I think it's definitely a model for wellness. Um yeah, and it's what a are, beautiful one. It is. What are some I'm switching gears a little bit. What are some identities and others that you sometimes struggle to love? Mm. This is a great question because this like this is where like the study of this and, and, and implementation of this praxis around love mm-hmm, for me is right. It's finding challenges and, and new growth, new growth points. Like how can I continue to practice loving on somebody I don't necessarily fuck with? Yeah. Like that's whoo. So that was a deep sigh. <laughs> it was like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can feel my right. in my mind saying good breath um, <laughs> but yeah I, this is tough man because I think this I think this piece comes from love of self and like a like a healthy love of self because um, I, I, I can't there are identities. I mean, the one that just jumps out to the front is like white people. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, I just can remember saying to people like along my growth, you know, there was these times in my life where, and I know you know, cause you wrote a damn paper that's <laughs> titled this shit. Yeah. Like they'll just come to this point where I was just like, I'm tired of fucking white people, dog. Like get them from around me. Like white I'm just like, me out all the time. <laughs> man. And it would be like, it would be like this cyclical thing, like all of this shit was building up inside of me. And then at a certain point, like it would it would have to it would have to blow out at, at a certain mm-hmm. point. And the older I've gotten, I think the more I noticed that the the cycle, like it used to be like every three weeks when I'm damn or when I'm an adolescent, when I'm a, a little bit older adult. My 20s was a blur, so we ain't going to yeah. talk about that. <laughs> but when I get to like my 30s, like in, in, in late 30s, it went from being like, OK, like every quarter you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. quarter of the year to like late now like every six months i'm feeling it's every year okay um but it was like when i got to this space in my life where again like i share man one of being a part of uh, of this job I, i've been working now this internship i've been working um where in orientation my my bosses told the first thing they talked about was self-care mm-hmm. and at that point i think i was 38 yeah, and I had been working since I was 13, mm-hmm. like 40 plus fucking jobs. You know, I, like I'm a lot of jobs, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to the Consman. So <laughs> a lot of jobs, right? Nobody ever in the motherfucking orientation ever stopped and say like self-care is the first thing we're talking about. And it was it kind of tripped me out. You know what I'm saying? And and they, and they went on to say there's no self-care without collective care. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wow, it started to like open this space in me. And like a couple of weeks into that internship, I reached out to one of the directors and I was like, yo, can we clock time for our self-care practice? Mm-hmm. And she, without hesitation, was like, yes. She was like, as long as it's like proportional to the task that you mm-hmm. achieve in this like, work 14 to 16 hours a week, she's like, take two hours, mm-hmm. take two hours. And you can have two hours for intentional self-care practice and clock that as your time. Yeah. And that to me, that's that's the shit that like blew some shit open in me because I never. Person. 
it was the white person that answered it. Yeah, but yeah. this was a black this was a black woman led uh, yeah. organization. So yeah, it's a, a white woman and a black woman working mm -hmm. together to create this workspace. But it was I, I tell people, man, that shit changed my life because it was like this last little nudge I needed to like truly start to effectively and healthily love myself yeah. was that my job told me I had essentially I had to do it and we're going to pay you for it. I'm going to fire your ass like you got to love yourself. <laughs> and right. So I'm I'm a I'm a trainer to be a social worker. That's the that's the area I've been in. And and that was one of the amendments to their uh, code of ethics back in 2021 is that they put self-care in there. And that was the logic for them putting this into policy and practice was like, you know, you have to practice self-care um, or else you're you're practicing impaired. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Practicing unethically. So like that was it. That was the shit that like, oh, my God, like I've been trying to do this in my life through therapy personally. Mm -hmm. All this like I've been trying to figure out how to love myself better. But it was my when my job told me I had to do it and we're going to pay you for it. That really mm. just was like, Oof. so once that happened. Now I'm practicing that more. I had to practice it every week yep. and not like not lie about it, like do mm -hmm. something. And so you had people to out have there, like, the permission and incentive. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And for the people out there, for me, the way I identify self-care for myself is like anything that brings you joy um, and or healing that doesn't come doesn't cause harm to yourself or others. Yeah. And again, there can't be no self-care without collecting. What was your jam? What was the thing that you were like, okay, I'm going to do this for these two hours so that I can clock this time? You know the <laughs> when you said my jam, like the shit, like the real shit was like playing NBA 2K for, for, like, a good 30, <laughs> for like a good 30, 40 minutes before I did anything else. It was just like, that was my jam. But also like walking. I love walking. Uh, listening to music. Some mornings I would fucking just blast my reggae and dance out and just dance off in there, you know? So like, it was just, it was all, all kind of things, but my jam was that. <laughs> yeah. You gotta have your thing, you know, where it's like tell on myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, it works, it works, it works, it works. Hey, it's part of many things that was working for sure, but so yeah, my, that's good. My yeah, um, last question is, what do you love most about you? What do I love most about me? Shit that I'm still growing. Mm -hmm. um, that I finally come to a place in my life where I can say I love myself. When did you, you know, when did you first start to be able to say it? At 38. That was the time? <laughs> that was the time. That, See, I like, thought I that could, was the time where you practiced it. I thought you could say it before. Man, wow, okay. I mean, I can go back and say that I was starting to do it like in action when I started to seek out therapy and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But when I tried to say it to myself, my like my inner my inner child, my inner voice and everything was still pushing back so mm -hmm. hard. Like, mm, no, you don't. No, you don't. Look at this, this and this you fucking up. Look Ooh. at this, this and this you fucking up. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that, that negative self-talk in there was just like destroying that. Yeah. So. I can't say like, and I said this to my son who's who's living his own like, you know, trauma and stuff and trying to trying to work through it, you know, is is like, look, I didn't effectively and healthily start loving myself until I was 38 and a half years old, bro. So I want to give you, I want to create a space for you where you can start to access that and, and, and practice that at an earlier age. Uh, so you don't have to wait that long, you know what I'm saying? So like for real, like it was, it was the job telling me to do it. Wow. Like, cause we we're so socialized into being these goddamn like uh, robot batteries in the matrix. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. 
I had to have my job tell me to do it. And then it was like, okay, now I'm really practicing it because we're always getting trained to be like a job and a career and a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Why so we give jobs so much authority. We don't have to. We don't, look, but we do though. So I'm wondering the why of that. Like just sitting with that question for myself it's, as well. <laughs> like, hmm. mm-hmm. The systems. Yeah. The sy- systems being designed that way and us being socialized that way. So, I mean, how do you get to that point of awareness to be like, and shit, it makes me think about, look, look what we've been going through the past three years. This is another thing that gives me so much damn hope. Like, We've all experienced this pandemic and we've had this collective trauma as all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. And people, people that have gone through that now are just like, look, I'm done, bro. <laughs> like I'm done. Like with, with this bullshit ass job, like I'm like, I'm done with you sucking my soul. Like I'm gonna go do something different if you have the privilege and the advantage to do so. But even people that, that might not, they just doing right. something different. They are doing something different. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And then I the, wanted I to think go lady, back real quick because you were talking about modeling for your son and communicating with your son around self-love, which I think is a beautiful and radical act between a son and a father, any parent mm-hmm. and child, but in particular in this case. And do you feel like he hears it, like it resonates in the way you're hoping it will? I would say yes and no, because when I speak it, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But what I have a very, uh, what I have much room to area for growth in is, is extending and showing love, this undefinable thing and energy. Um, Look at my dog still barking from outside, man. (laughs) (laughs) But this undefinable energy of like, how do we, how do I show that with, more than just words. So mm, mm. Like I, I have to touch him in a loving way. I have to hug him. And to be honest, like I struggle with that because I didn't have it. Yeah. And so, it, and it's just like the other piece I struggle with too is like, if you don't hush, what? The other piece, the other piece I struggle with too is like, I've noticed that my inner child and all my traumas and stuff, like, you know, the aces, I'm a good old eight to ten, eight out of ten on the aces scale. My inner child's jealous of him. It's resent. Does it feel like jealousy? I, I asked another parent this too. Does it feel like jealousy or resentment? It feels like both. <laughs> like- it feels like all of those, all mm-hmm. of those. And it's just like when I'm looking at him and I'm like, and, and like, look, bro, you had a therapist since you was this old. You got social workers at school. You got this, this, and this. You got access to this information. Man, I ain't had none of that shit. Like, it's all of those things. It's jealousy. It's envy. It's resentment. It's pain. It's it's dirty pain that's still living in me. Oh, mm-hmm. there it is. So, yeah. like, it's, uh, yeah, so that's the part I struggle with the most because it's just like my body is then adverse, like, aversive to wanting to, like, hug him and touch him. Mm. And that's on me. That's fucked up on me. Like, that's the part that resonates is like, what am I doing? Like, when am I touching you? When am I hugging you? Like, when am I, yeah, when am I making that available? Like, man to man in a way that is, that is going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Now, when he was smaller, was it different? Because sometimes developmentally, like, if it's a little two-year-old boy, it's a 
people experience that as a different thing than a 10 year old or nine year old. Unfortunately, with with this in particular child mm-hmm. of mine, it wasn't like mm-hmm. it really wasn't like it was. <laughs> it was starting to see like behaviors like early, you know what I'm saying? Like and since since then, he's been like diagnosed with things like ODD and ADHD. Yeah. Um, shit, I just found out from my therapist walking me through it when I was 38 that I'm a moderate to severe ADHD myself. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I. Shit, right before he turned two, like, I can remember him doing some shit that just really irked me. And I went to go spank him and I spanked him, you know, and. And it like he's fur, you know, so the first skin and left like it left a mark on his butt, you know what I'm saying? And and what ended up happening is that his, his biological mom was like, yo, we ain't going to be doing this. You know, we ain't going to be doing this. Well, you got to do something. You got to do something different. And she was like, you want you to go take a parenting class? And I was like, cool. Why don't you come with me? Um, and man, like I took this parenting class, it was like positive parenting, like redirecting and stuff like this is all of, this is back in, you know, he was two. So it was like 2013. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it, it gave me access to this whole different, like, uh, idea of what parenting and discipline could be. Yes. Right. Um, but I share all that to say, like, I couldn't even remember myself being like resentful at that time, you know what I'm saying? When he was that young, you know? I don't know if that's an energy thing between me and him or similarities or, or what it was, but um, yeah, man, just, just more. I just know I just got more room for growth in that. Um, that's I just powerful though to acknowledge because when you sit with the acknowledgement of it, the pain of it, you know, the reality of all of those emotions and you get to make use of them. Yeah. I think about raising a free black child, like, man, my son just turned four and mm-hmm. he has the benefit of the best of me because I'm at this age and I've had all the therapy, like you said, yeah. and all of this, you know what I mean? I'm like, wow, you get to grow up. You get to grow up middle-class. You get to grow up without trauma. <laughs> like You mm-hmm. get to grow up with like all of these things. And I'm so grateful that I created the time in my life to be able to do that. So that came with those acknowledging emotions that you're doing right now and processing them and all of that. Yeah. So when kids watch you evolve, that's the lesson for them. That's the love too. That's, and that's where, that's where you was taking me as you were saying that. Like, so they, you know, my son's got to see me come from that point where we, you know, after, after that time, after that one spanking, we never spanked our kids again because mm-hmm. I learned a different way. You know, and then I also read a, a, a paper, uh, a research paper that said, you know, corporal punishment and this stuff like that affects the development of the brain and affects the gray matter in the brain. Like, so just educating Stacey myself. Patton's work. Was it Stacey Patton's work? I don't, I can't even tell you because oh, okay. it's been so long ago. <laughs> she talks about how it's related to corporal punishment and, and spanking is related to, you know, post-traumatic slave syndrome. And I was like, Oof. Yeah. Oof, oh, girl, yeah. That's where you go. Like <laughs> she got down with that, but yeah, yeah. And so man. that so evolution, you've seen it in yourself, but then your kids also get to see it and experience it because that's love that you're willing to be humble enough to evolve in front of them. Yeah, yeah, and and learn from them too, and acknowledge mm-hmm. when I'm learning from them. Yeah, um, that's awesome. Teachers better than we know, right? And better than we acknowledge. And we we gotta be listening to to our young people and our youth, man, because they are 
a mosaic of the makeup of the best things that we we have been. Um, but they need to the love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They need they need a safe and loving space. Yeah. Um, so that they to, don't forget to, how to be that way. To be free. That's I mean, that's just like you said, that's the goal in all of this, man, is like for me, is like love and liberation. Yes. How do we get there? You know? Yeah. And we gotta start right here. We gotta start right here if you're gonna ever get there. Well, that's how to love a human. Where can folks Jeez. find you? Like, let them know where you want to be found. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, I got a Twitter. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got a Twitter. I don't tweet much. Like, I'm, Me I'm either. Much- What's the Twitter, hey. though? <laughs> it's Humble Mumble, one, two. Shout out to Outcast, mm-hmm. uh, another one of my keepers yep. as I was growing up. Um, yeah, Humble Mumble, yes, one, two. Yes, I got to reroute my dreams. Hey, <laughs> humble as a mumble in the jungle. Yes. So that's it. I mean, that's it. I mean, okay. and I'm also, you know, I'm I'm here, like I'm here in Kentucky. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I, you know, I'm here in Lexington, Kentucky, trying to trying to start right here in this in this city. Um, and really start small with with trying to inject what love and liberation looks like in community. Yeah. Um, so that's the work, that's the work I'm doing here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um so those are the places you can find me. Yeah. Right. And it's on IG. I'm on IG too with Humble Mumble too. And there'll okay. be there'll be more stuff to come later. Okay. Okay. Well, let us watch know out, when the when it constant drops. Spring. Watch out for Constant Spring LLC. We'll be dropping soon in Kentucky. So watch out for that. Yeah. Um, see, that's the you gotta name all of that stuff. Cause by the time it launches and people actually find it, they're just gonna already be out there. 